Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John speaks from the subject of, I loved you enough. And now, here is Pastor John with today's message. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to read verse uh, 17 as well. 18 is right there in front of you. Um, Paul says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, and that's on the screen in front of you, may you have the power to understand, uh, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience, verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then Romans chapter 8, and if you have a a Bible with you, then just put a marker there because we're going to be all over chapter 8 of Romans. Verse 35 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then he has a little parenthetical statement there that says, as scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. In verse 37, he answers his question. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And then verse 38, he continues, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can anybody say amen to the word of God today? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your love. And I pray that you would, as Paul prayed for this congregation in in Ephesus, Lord, would you help us to begin to understand your love today and help us to recognize what it does in our lives and the wonderful gifts that it unlocks for us and help us, God, to respond to it appropriately today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, seven years into pastoring this church, and I have to confess to you, I still have not quite mastered the art of preparing to preach. It's still a little bit of a mystery 
to me because it's not just an academic exercise, right? You don't, you don't just think up something cool and run with it. There, there should be an element of inspiration involved, or at least I, I hope you hope there is, right? And it, it, I had somebody used to tell me, used to go to church here, they say, listen, John, don't be nervous. It's if you just read the Bible, it'll be good. Because everything in the Word is good stuff. And, I, and I'm down with that. I understand that. But I think we all sort of come to expect that, that there is a, a specific Word uh, at the right time, at the right place, right? We kind of expect this rhema Word uh, each week. And, and, and I just have to admit, sometimes it's really easy. Sometimes it just flows and everything's cool and you know exactly what God's saying and where he's going. Sometimes I'm planned out for a few months in advance and, 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 and I love that, by the way. That's all great. But sometimes it's a walk of faith from week to week as you're just trying to hear what God wants to say to his people. And, and this week was, uh, was more the latter than the former. I'd just been waiting on the Lord and seeking his face and trying to figure out what he wanted to say. And I got to the point that I finally just stepped back. I had some ideas and some things that, that would have worked, but I don't want to just do something that works, right? I, I want to hear what the Lord wants for us right now. And so I just said, Lord, if you were preaching Sunday, what would you say? And, and almost immediately, I had this sense of what the Lord wants to say to you. And so here it is, in, in all of its uh, profound simplicity, is the message of Jesus Christ to covenant life and all those who are in attendance today, I love you. It's the word of the Lord for you today. Don't see me. See Jesus Hear Jesus, I love you. And see, I think as I imagined, as I imagined seeing Jesus in the pulpit this morning, I think he would do things that I am not free to do because he's not bound up by time or expectations. Jesus just kind of do what Jesus wants to do, right? And Jesus, I believe, would 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 take time to go to each one of us and he'd say, Steve. And he'd lock those, those big brown Middle Eastern Jewish eyes on us. He'd say, Steve, I love you. And he'd just hold our gaze until he was finished because he's got those eyes, you know? He's got those eyes that communicate more than just his words. And I think, I think he'd just say, Dean, I love you. And he'd just hold our gaze until we finally understood what that really means to us. And so I want you to hear the word of the Lord to you this morning in as personal and profound a way as you possibly can. I love you. Jesus loves you. He, he wants you to know that. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he knows you and he still loves you. Right? He wants because isn't that our greatest fear? Isn't that our greatest fear that somebody will get inside, somebody will get to know who we really are and will just buy out and just say, nope, I can't, I can't love somebody like that. He knows you and he loves you. He sees you and he still loves you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your doubts and he still loves you. He knows the exhaustion of the single parents in the room. And he wants you to know he loves you. He sees the married couple teetering on the edge of divorce, but he wants you to know he loves you, both of you. Amen. 
He, he sees you struggling to stay afloat. And he wants you to know he loves you. He sees the hurt that you're carrying, the pain that you haven't healed from, the, the, the grief that, and the sorrow that you're carrying. He sees it. He feels it. He understands it. And he wants you to know he loves you. Red and yellow, black, white, any of the ways that we can discriminate against ourselves and between ourselves, any way we can separate ourselves, he wants you to know he loves you. And he wants you to know, according to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 3, that his love is so wide and so deep and so long and so high that it would take a revelation of God for you to even begin to understand it. But it's more real than anything that you can see with your eyes or touch with your fingers. Your emotions will rise and fall. But listen to me. The feelings of your life don't change the fact of his love. He loves you, period. You can rest in it. You can walk in it. And he wants you to know, according to Romans chapter 8, that there is nothing in your past or in your future. There is nothing that you're going through right now. No spiritual power, no fear, no worry, no anxiety, no stress or concern, no trouble or trial, no sickness, no poverty, no failure, no persecution. He loves you. And because he loves you and is for you, then there is no thing and no one who can ever be against you with any success. You have been made overwhelmingly victorious because of the love of Jesus. So the message of Jesus Christ to you this morning is, I love you. I love you. And that's the most powerful message on the face of the earth. So did you receive it? Because I see lots of deer in headlights this morning. Maybe I started a little too enthusiastically, but I want you to understand how, how powerful this word is. Those three words from the throne of God to your ears, I love you, changes everything. It changes everything, or it should. It should. Now, a couple of things about the love of Jesus. A couple things that are true about the love of Jesus that we see in the Word. First of all, the love of Jesus commands our attention. The love of Jesus commands our attention. I would venture to say the love of Jesus commands the attention of the entire universe. And secondly, the love of Jesus demands a response. The love of Jesus demands a response. In other words, it can't just exist as a cold, hard fact. You can't just academically ascend to it. You can't just say, yep, Jesus loves me. And then end the conversation there. If the love of Jesus is what the Bible says it is, and it is, then it demands that we respond to it. You say, well, John, I don't know about that. I think the, eh, the love of Jesus just is, and, and he wouldn't expect us to respond. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, uh, Jesus looked at, at the disciples and said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Amen. And then in, a, in just a few more chapters in the same Gospel, he looked at Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, then you need to feed my sheep or feed my lambs. 
The love of Jesus demands a response. It can't be shrugged off. It can't be ignored. And so today, I want to show you from Scripture some expressions of the love of Jesus, some of the ways Jesus loves us, and then challenge you to respond appropriately. So this message today is called, I loved you enough. I loved you enough. And it's not me. It's his love. Okay? Four statements of Jesus about his love. Here's the first one. I loved you enough to give up heaven to come to earth, to come to this world. I loved you enough to give up heaven to come to this world. And I want to show it to you in a couple of places. It's all over the scripture, but I want to show it to you two places explicitly. John chapter 3, Philippians chapter 2. First of all, John chapter 3, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Why did he do it? Because he loved us so much. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, uh, the apostle Paul says, you have to have the same, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, what attitude is that? And then from 6 through 11, he lays out what what is uh, believed to be one of the earliest hymns of the church. And this is This is as rich and meaty and theological as you can possibly make it. You can study this for weeks, but it's also as simple as the reading is going to indicate. Though he was God, though Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't just hold, he didn't hold on to it. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Scripture is very clear that Jesus existed from eternity past. He had no beginning. He will have no end. He is eternal. He was and is God. And, and as the all-powerful, all-knowing God, there is no way to make him do anything he doesn't want to do. You understand that? You can't make God do stuff. I read a book years ago, a leadership book called Well Done, and, and the, the premise is, is, is uh, he, he looked at the uh, training of killer whales. And he was like, how in the world do you make a killer whale do what you want it to do? Because it can swallow you, right? You ain't going to like whoop a whale and they, and they care, right? They just eat you. So they're like, how do you motivate a whale to do anything? And if, if the uh, analogy is accurate for a whale, imagine the comparison between us and God. How do you make God do something, right? He has no needs. You can't leverage him. He's got no weaknesses, so you can't blackmail him. He's got no flaws, so you can't entice him. The only way God does something is because God decided to do something. 
So when Jesus came to earth, don't just read through the word of God without engaging your brain. The fact that Jesus left heaven and came to earth indicates to us it wasn't out of obligation. He's not obligated to anybody. It was a decision. He decided to come to earth. He looked at the mess that we had created out of the perfection that he had created, and he decided he would fix what he didn't break. Philippians tells us he was equal with God, had all the power and the privileges that come with that position, whatever that is. And yet he made the decision to lay all of that stuff aside, to take off the robe of deity and take on the role of a servant and a slave. He allowed himself to be born as a baby and to die as a criminal. Why in the world would he do that? Why? Makes no sense whatsoever. Why would the creator go to all that trouble for the creation? Why? When he could have spoken the word and wiped all of this mess and chaos and confusion out. And that's what I'd have done. Isn't that what you, that's what I'd have done with me. When I looked at all the mess I've made, I'd just say, Psh, I'm just going to start over. That's too much trouble. I sure wouldn't have come to earth and sacrificed and suffered and died the way he did. Why did he do it? Only one thing makes any sense. And John tells us, love. He loved us. He loved us. He came to this world so that we could have the chance to experience heaven with him. But not just that, but that's what he did. He came so that we could have a chance to be with him. That's a love that can't be ignored. That's a love that demands a response. So here's the challenge that we have to rise to. Jesus said, I have loved you. I loved you enough to give up heaven to come to this world. Here's the challenge for us that we have to answer. Do you love me enough to give up this world to come to heaven? Do you love me enough to give up this world to come to heaven? It's a legitimate question. It's a a good question. See, Jesus didn't come to this world so we could continue to live like we've always lived. He came so that we could be different. His offer to experience eternal life comes with the expectation that we're willing to respond to his love in kind. He gave up his world for us. We have to be willing to give up our world for him. Look at Mark chapter 8. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, the gospel, you'll save it. He goes on. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, we don't preach this anymore. This is not popular. This doesn't make you feel good. But it's still the truth. If anyone's ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
A love like Jesus's demands a response. Philippians says that because of what Jesus did, the sacrifice he made when he came to this world, God exalted him to the highest place of honor. And that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So since we have the love of God poured out on us right now, doesn't it make sense to go ahead and confess him as Lord right now? Why would we wait until we're forced to do it? Why wait until the demons of hell have to do it? He loved us enough to give up his world. Do you love him enough to give up yours? That's the first question today. Here's a second statement of Jesus' love. I loved you enough to die for your sins and rise from the dead. I loved you enough to die for your sins and rise from the dead. We're going to go to Romans chapter 6, then chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In Romans 6 and 10, he says, when he died, when Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. Don't don't miss that. It's not just just warm, warm and fuzzy feelings that Jesus came for. He came with a purpose to break the power of sin over our lives. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Romans 8, 11 through 14. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no, let's slow down and listen to this, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, what, whose dictates? Your sinful nature, you'll die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, this is in the NIV. For Christ's love compels us. That's the response of Paul to Christ's love. He's like, I have got to do whatever I can to share the love of Jesus. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Jesus didn't come to this earth just to give us a chance to go to heaven, he had something that he had to be that he had to accomplish. That he had a problem that needed to be solved. It wasn't his problem, it was our problem, but he decided to solve it for us. It was the sin problem. A sin problem. The reason the world was in such a mess, the reason Jesus had to come in the first place, is because we are guilty of sinning against the Lord, and we have really no other way to be set free from that guilt. Sin requires a blood sacrifice, and we had sacrificed over the years 
millions of animals and we're still guilty. Romans says the wages, the result of our sin is death. So when Jesus came to earth, he came to be the sacrifice for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 it says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Or King James says he made him to be sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's incredible. And he did that because of his love for us. And if that wasn't enough, the scriptures that we read in Romans said, if he had not risen again from the dead, then his sacrifice for sin would have been in vain. It would have been wasted. So not only did he come and die on the cross for our sins, but he rose from the dead on the third day to give us his resurrection power. So that means he was the final sacrifice for our sin. No other animal, no person would ever have to shed their blood as a sacrifice for sin. He did it once, he did it for all, forever. And he proved that sin and death had no more power over us when he rose from the dead. So again, we have to ask ourselves, why in the world would he have given up heaven for us but, but put himself through the most brutal, painful death that anybody's ever experienced? Why would he become sin? for us. Why would he die and rise again? And again, we come to the same conclusion and don't let this be a cliche. Why did he do this for us the way he did it for us? And the answer is because he loves us. He loved us so much that he paid the price for us. He knew exactly how much it would cost. He did it anyway because he loved us. And so here's the challenge that we have to rise to in face of such love. Jesus is asking, if I loved you enough to die for your sins and rise again, do you love me enough to die to your sins and walk in resurrection power? Do you love me enough to die to your sins and walk in my power? You see, that's the expectation. That's the expectation. Jesus didn't die for our sins just so we could go right back into the same bondage that he set us free from. He died to set us free. He said, old things are passed away. All things have become new. You, he, he said, you are no longer obligated to do what your sinful nature tells you to do. Have, have you heard people say this? Well, I'm just human. I'm just going to sin. I, just, I have to sin every day. No, you don't. That's not what the Bible says. You know, what that usually means is you are still enjoying your sin and are not quite ready to give it up. But don't blame it on the sin nature because Jesus healed you of that. He set you free of all that mess. So go on and say what you mean and just say, oh, I got to sin every day because I just like it. Still having fun. He died for our sins so we could die to our sins. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That's what water baptism symbolizes, right? 
we buried with Christ so that we can rise with him and, and live with him and through him and for him. When you surrender yourself to Jesus, accepting what he did for us on the cross, you are free from the obligation to sin. That's an incredible gift. And we've already seen in Romans chapter 8, he's given us his resurrection power so that we can also overcome sin's power in our lives. The question is then, do you love Jesus enough to die to your sin and walk in that power? Let me explain it this way. When I married Valerie, I died to other women. Y'all catching up? I died to other women. It's not that other women couldn't still be alluring to me. It's just that I do my best not to get close enough to find out. Right? The, the part, so I can live, right. The, <clears throat> that part, <clears throat> that part of my life that might cause me to look in that direction had to die. It's dead. Not because we signed a contract requiring that I look away from any woman she might consider to be more attractive than herself, right? Not because she put some sort of shock collar on me. He's like, you look, you know, that's not how I, I consider myself dead to other women because I love that one woman right there, right? And that makes all the difference. My relationship with another woman would cause her pain, would damage our relationship. That's the understatement of this message. <laughs> would damage our relationship and my life. So I'm done. I'm dead, I'm dead to that. It's got to be the same with us and sin. Okay? It's got to be the same relationship with us and sin. Does it still interest us? Sure. Would it be pleasurable? Absolutely, for a little while. But when you know Jesus, when you've tasted and seen that He is good, and you have a relationship with Him, and you've experienced the love of Jesus, you just decide that you love Him too much to risk hurting Him or damaging that relationship. And we can't say that we can't give it up because He's given us His resurrection power to accomplish it. If that power can raise a mortal body beaten to death where there's not even a single drop of blood left, if it can raise that body to eternal and everlasting life, imagine what it can do for us if we allow it to operate in our lives. So if your question is, how many times have you heard this? Nobody says it this way. This is what they mean is, how much can I sin and still be saved? My question would be, do you even love Jesus in the first place? Amen. How would the conversation go with your wife if you say like, how many women can I have and we still be considered married? When the swelling goes down in your eyes, and if the hearing ever comes back, she'll communicate to you and whatever's left. None. Right? We either in this thing or we're not. 
And the fact that you're considering how far you can go before it's no longer official is the wrong question. Jesus is saying, I loved you enough to die for your sins and rise from the dead. Do you love me enough to die to your sin and live in my power? Now here's the third statement of Jesus' love. I loved you enough to go to the Father. This sounds a little weird, but I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. I loved you enough to go to the Father. Jesus, uh, the book of Jesus, <clears throat> the book of John, chapter 16. I guess technically they're all the book of Jesus, aren't they? Verse 5, Jesus said, Now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you, but in fact, it's best for you, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Um, So the disciples for the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry were pretty much confused most of the time. So if that makes, I don't know if that makes you feel any better, it makes me feel better. They just didn't get it most of the time. They thought that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom on the earth right then. And then even after he was crucified, they were like, oh, now I get it. You died, you rose from the dead. So now everybody's going to say, oh, you're the guy that died and rose from the dead. Now you're the king. Still confused. Still didn't get it. Jesus has been trying to tell them the whole time, this is not about that, but they didn't get it. So he's saying, listen, I think part of the problem is they had gotten used to having Jesus around. You know, we could get used to like just walking and talking with Jesus, right? They had him around. They could ask him questions. They could see him heal. They could, they could watch him love the people, teach the people, all that stuff. They couldn't imagine a better way to live. But Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going back to the Father because it's best for you that I do that. It's best for you that I go away. Jesus had a better plan. He's always got a better plan, doesn't he? Always got a better plan than we can think of. He said, I know you think it's time for me to rule and reign on this earth, but it's not. I know you think having me around is the best thing that you can think of, but it's not. I'm going to go away, and you're going to stay here, and you're going to continue to do the work that I started. But even better than me being beside you all the way, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to be inside of you in the form of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus said, I love you so much, I'm going to go away so that I can place myself inside of you so you never have to be alone. You never have to be away from me. You never have to be without my power and my presence and my peace and my direction. And so here's the challenge. Jesus said, I loved you enough to go back to the Father. Do you love me enough to surrender to my spirit? Because that's why he went in the first place. You see, so many American believers, and it really is really more of a North American function than anywhere else in the world, so many American believers have a problem with one-third of the Trinity. See, they trust the Father. They're like there with the Father. They love Jesus. Everybody, I mean, who doesn't love Jesus? But they're absolutely confused about the Holy Spirit. They don't really know what to do. They either view him as this rogue member of the Trinity causing chaos and craziness in otherwise reverent and pleasant church services. 
Or they think he's some unnecessary add-on for super spiritual people. And neither of those is even remotely biblical. The Holy Spirit is the same in essence, in nature, in character as the Father and the Son. They are all one. They have the same goals. They have the same desires. They have the same heart for the people. They have the same desire to see you succeed as a believer. The Holy Spirit isn't an add-on and He isn't a distraction. He's a gift. He's a gift to you because Jesus loves you and wants to be with you all the time. Why else do you give somebody gifts other than obligation at Christmas? If we're honest, right? Here, have a gift because I'm obliged to give this to you. Not because I have any sort of feelings for you, but Merry Christmas. Jesus don't do that, right? He only gives gifts because he loves people. This is a passage that you've heard, um, but you may not have associated it with its true and original context. And I want to read it to you in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. And so I tell you, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. You've heard that scripture before, right? For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. He continues, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift that Jesus arranged for us to receive. So the question is, have you opened your life up to Him? Have you invited Him to take control of your life? I know lots of good Christian people who, who say, I want the Lord to lead and guide my life. Sincerely, they say that. He does that through the Holy Spirit. That's how that happens. So he wants to meet that desire in your life. He does it through the Holy Spirit. Do you love him enough and trust him enough to surrender to his spirit? And here's the last of the statements of, of love for Jesus. And this is a present tense love for a future promise. Jesus says, I love you, present tense, enough to come back for you. I love you enough to come back for you. Look at John, two places, John 14 and 1 Thessalonians 4. This is not just a funeral uh, scripture. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, Jesus promised us, I will come and get you so that you will always be where, with me where I am. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 begins to tell us how that's going to happen. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will ever be with the Lord 
forever. I just blended two, three versions. Just, just take your pick. So encourage each other with these words. That Jesus is coming back to this earth is one of the clearest doctrines and beliefs of Scripture. It's just, it's just a scriptural fact. His 33 years on this earth uh, are, were just a precursor to his future reign as king of this world. Before that happens, in what's called the rapture of the church, that was described in 1 Thessalonians, he will come back to earth's atmosphere and will welcome his children home. And those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, whether they are alive at the time of his return or if they have been dead for centuries, will be welcomed into his presence as Jesus makes good on his promise to come back for those who follow him. But just as clear as the fact that he is coming is also the fact that not everybody is going to be going with him. Not everybody is going to be ready. Even though he loves everybody. Even though he made a way for everybody. Not everybody is going to be ready because not everybody is going to be looking for him. So here's the response to this expression of Jesus' love. I love you enough to come back for you. Do you love me enough to be ready? Do you love me enough to be ready? First Thessalonians, we read to the end of the fourth chapter. This is the beginning of the fifth chapter, verses four through eight. Paul said, but you're not in the dark about these things. He's continuing this conversation. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drunkers get, drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. How do you get ready for the rapture? By being alert by being clear-minded about the things of God, by being spiritually focused and committed to Him, by wearing the whole armor of God. You've set aside sin and distraction, and you're living your life with the realization that Jesus might come today. Not out of fear, because when you're in right relationship, you have no reason to fear, but out of anticipation. Valerie and I don't travel a lot, and, when, and we rarely travel uh, separately, but when she does travel without me, I can't wait for her to come home. I'm anticipating her arrival. Why is that? Because I love her. I love her. And because I can't do Haley's hair uh, without her. But it, that's, the, that's a whole other subject. I, I, you should have seen that poor old ponytail I sent that child to school with. But anyway, um, now we always have an agenda. I know when she's coming home. It ain't like she's just like, I'm in Chicago. I'll just be home sometime. Um, we know where she's going when she's coming home. But, but imagine if you didn't. Imagine not knowing. You get up every day wondering, I wonder if she's coming home today. Right? I, wonder if she's gonna, I wonder if she'll make it home by lunch. I wonder if we'll get to have lunch together today. I, I wonder if I'm going to have to wait one more day to see her. 
That's what you do when you love somebody. You stay ready. You're always ready to see them. Let me ask you something. Do you love Jesus enough to get ready and stay ready? He is coming back. He's coming back. Just as surely as He came before, He's coming again. He has to. Because if He doesn't, it'll make Him out to be a liar, and He's not a liar. He loves you enough to come back. Do you love Him enough to get ready? So here's the bottom line today, and I want to make sure everybody understands this. You've been very patient. I want to make sure that nobody misunderstands. The love of Jesus is not dependent upon your response. Your relationship with Jesus is dependent upon your response. He he loves you, period. His love for you is a given. It's it's a constant. There's no variable. He, He cannot love you more than He loves you, no matter how you respond. But if you want a relationship with Jesus that'll span eternity and start immediately, you have to respond to His love. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you don't mind. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.